Well, good morning, everyone. Always a joy to bring the word of God to God's people. Let's uh, start in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you uh, for this day. Um, you have blessed us with so much. Uh, we can go on for hours just of all the blessings you have shown us, all the mercy you have given us. And so today, as we get to open up your word in the book of James, Lord, someone you saved, someone you love, and Lord, you communicated here for us. Um, help us, Lord, to understand. Pray you give me clarity uh, and a passion and desire to share this truth today. And be with us, Lord. We know you are here where two or three are gathered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. You probably heard these three words from someone recently. But what is a good way to measure if someone actually loves you? Maybe the amount of attention they give you or the amount of hard work they are willing to do for you? I think those are good examples. But another way is to see if they're willing to forgive you. When you have a close relationship with someone, one of the indicators of how much you love them is if you're willing to forgive them. And when you have been forgiven, you in turn love them even more. So I want you to look at Luke 7, a very familiar story. I think it'll set up the tone for us. Luke 7, verse 40. If you got it, say amen. Wow, that's quick. Good. So let's read Luke 7, verse 40. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher, a moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. And so which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And so, a believer that's been forgiven of so much is expected not only to forgive others, but to love others. We will see how forgiveness ties into the royal love that we're going to learn about in the book of James. Will we love one another? Or will we break God's law by being unwilling to show mercy and continue in foolish favoritism? And so you can turn to James chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 8 to 13. And you can consider this part 2 to foolish favoritism. Last week we spoke about one way that we can break this royal law, and that was the sin of partiality. We discussed the imperative to flee the sin and to listen to God's course of action and how he chose the poor to be rich in faith. The indicative of those who show favoritism is that they are evil judges. We also learned the inconsistency and contradiction of man when they foolishly favor those who are mistreating them and dishonoring those who God has chosen. We observed illustrations of the violence and hatred that the rich show towards the believers by dragging them to court and blaspheming the name of Christ. And so this week, we're going to examine how God deals with those who follow and break his law. 
So God's commendation is to those who obey his law alone. For those who break his law, however, are convicted as lawbreakers. And many of, this, of these lawbreakers will be condemned. But some of them will be shown compassion. And so how can someone who breaks the law be forgiven? There's only one way, and we're going to discuss that soon. So let's get into our first couple of verses here. Uh, James chapter 2. We're going to read verses 8 to 11. Alrighty, let's read here. It says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so this week, we will examine uh, just how uh, God deals with those who break his law and those that do not break his law. So we're going to see God's commendation, the conviction and unity of the law. And after this, we're going to discuss, we're going to look at those two commandments, right? Do not uh, commit adultery and uh, do not commit murder. And so let's begin in verse 8 with God's commendation here, right? He's approving of something in verse 8. So look at verse 8 again. It says, If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And so after he was talking about the foolishness of favoritism, he shares a commendation for those who are not acting foolishly. We see here there's a contrast to showing partiality, and that is fulfilling the royal law. And we must never forget where the law comes from. It comes from the king of kings, the lawgiver. And we know all good things come from God. And so the royal law, it's a good thing. And so James probably has in mind Leviticus 19. And we discussed this before, but look at Leviticus 19. We're going to be in verses 15 to 18. And I want you to notice here how he talks about not being partial. Then he jumps into loving your neighbor. So look at Leviticus 19, third book in the Bible, verse 15. So it says, You shall not do injustice and judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Verse 16. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Verse 17. You shall not hate your fellow countryman in your heart. This is going to get into our text. You'll see in a bit. You may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not encourage sin because of him. And lastly, verse uh, 18, you shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so here we are reminded of the royal law, loving your neighbor as yourself. But don't forget the last part of the verse. It says, I am the Lord. We obey this law because of who God is and what he has said. God is the creator, the judge. He's perfect. He's wise. He's all-knowing. So if he says something, we ought to do it. He says to love your neighbor, and we should. He is the Lord. So instead of being evil judges, we are called to be good neighbors. We are called to show fair treatment to our neighbors. And if you're doing this, what does James say? You're doing well. 
And so this should motivate all believers going through persecution, not to take the easy route of people-pleasing and caving into pressure to favor the rich uh, because the rich people might give us a little relief. No, we're reminded that we have to not look for ways to gain success in a corrupt manner, but we're called to fulfill the royal law. And that's going to require a lot of sacrifice and effort on our part. Uh, It might mean we're not going to always get what we want. And so I want us to consider this for a minute. What's better, giving to those in need or feeding our greed? Think about it. Why is it better to do good, do well, and be persecuted than to disobey God's law? What would you guys say? Why is it better to do good and obey God's law than to disobey? Yeah, very simple answer, because God tells you to. What else? What else? I mean, let's say you do everything God tells you to do, and you're still getting persecuted. You're still, you know, getting beat up, mistreated. Is it worth it? Why is it worth it? Our reward is great in heaven. You had something, Ben? Mm, do not grow weary in doing well. Yeah. Victor, you hit it right on the money there. Our reward in heaven is so much greater uh, than all the afflictions that are going uh, in our world today. And so we need to have that mindset. We need to think what's happening today, all the struggles, um, yeah, it's temporary. One day we're going to be with Christ and it's going to be worth it. Uh, So very good. So we see that those that obey God's law really have a heart change. And so throughout this letter, James wants us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, if we are obeying the royal law. And so it reveals that when we obey the royal law, we are actually part of the royal family. Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he tells them that the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And so when this command to love your neighbor as yourself is actively obeyed, all the manward duties set forth by the law be effectively performed. But what if we aren't obeying the royal law? James goes back to what we learned last week. So look at verse 9. Those who disobey this law are committing the sin of partiality. So James chapter 2, verse 9 here. It says, but if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so here we see the conviction of the law. When we show partiality, we are committing sin. And I don't want us to quickly go over this word sin. It's very important to understand what it is. So what is sin? What is sin? Give me a simple definition of what is sin. Ooh, I like that. Missing the target. Yes. Anyone else? What is sin? Yeah, doing anything that God tells you not to do. So he says, do not do this, and if you do it, committing sin. Good. Anyone else? Anyone else? Breaking the law. Yes, that's the one I was looking for. So 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness or the transgression of the law. So to go against God's law is to go against God. When we break the law, the result is conviction. We are now guilty. We are sinners. And by the way, 
Sin is not a mistake we make. It is a deliberate, premeditated action. And so we're lawbreakers who have violated the restrictions of that law. And so when we're showing partiality, we're guilty of breaking God's law. And I also want you to notice something. Those that are being convicted are evil judges, right? Do you see the hypocrisy there? They're judges that break the law. And so James goes uh, to great lengths with this reoccurring theme of hypocrisy because he doesn't want his followers, uh, the followers of Christ, to be hypocrites. Now, the next thing James does in our text, if you look at verse 10, he's addressing something that might be going on in the mind of the church, right? Oh, what, what do you mean we're transgressors? I mean, we're only sinning in this one area. I mean, we're only showing partiality. We aren't that bad, are we? So look at how James refutes this foolishness. Verse 10, it says here, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. All right, so James goes straight to the truth here. You know, there might be some thinking, yeah, I'm not that bad of a person. But no, 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 if you have broken one, you have broken them all, right? And here's a very important thing. It doesn't mean that this text negates the biblical concept of different degrees of evil. So there are some sins that are worse than others and receive a more severe punishment than sins that are less wicked. For example, Hitler, right? He would be punished greatly in hell for all of the wickedness he's done. However, even in the smallest sin, a serious offense has been made against God. And so to sin in one point is to sin against the law and therefore against the law giver. Even the smallest sin is worthy of hell fire. And every unrepentant person goes to hell though some in hell will receive a greater degree of punishment. So what do we observe here? We observe here the unity of the law. The law is this unit. It's like glass. You break one part and it's all broken. So stumbling in just one point makes us guilty of it all. Now some may argue, Kevin, that logic is not fair. Well, let's think about it for a minute. How many lies do you have to tell to be considered a liar? Just one. What about adultery? How many times do you have to cheat on your wife to be considered an adulterer? Just one. What about committing murder? How many people do I have to murder? Just one to be considered a murderer. If you cheated on a test, you're called a cheater. And the list goes on. Another way to picture it, how many stains do you need on your shirt for you to consider your shirt stained? Just one. And so the law, it's just like the shirt. It's all together. You have one part for the arms. You have one part for the head. But if you break one part of the law, you have broken it all. So you either obey the whole law or you break the whole law. It's that simple. There is no gray area with sin. And so what does James do? He explains it with two commandments. Look at verse 11 again. It says, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so we know that God said this, right? We see this. Where did God say this? Anyone know? These Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Let's go there briefly. Who do you say it to? Moses, right? All right, here we go. And it was for the people of Israel. Look what he says. We're just going to read a couple commandments. Uh, verse 7, 13, 14, and 16. 
He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain, right? Do not use the uh, Lord God's name in vain. That's the third commandment. Look at verse 13. And we're going to see this in a bit. Here he says it, you shall not murder. Verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. And then verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. All right, so there we have the sixth, the seventh, and the ninth commandment. And so if you disobey God in one commandment but not another, James is arguing you are still a transgressor of the law. And so many times foolish people, they try to justify themselves. They try to say, well, I never killed anyone. And they may think the following, what is one commandment disobeyed compared to so many obeyed? For example, they didn't break the sixth commandment regarding murder, yet in their heart they've lusted after many women, and they broke the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Or they take the Lord's name in vain, the third commandment, and, and, and they say, well, you know, I, I'm not that bad of a person. And so they think certain sins should be damnable, but other sins should be overlooked. On Thursday night at the street fair on Main Street in Port Washington, I was talking to a guy at the train station, and I asked him if he thought he was a good person. And he said something very interesting. I I actually haven't heard this one before. He said, by my standards, I would say I'm a good person. But according to someone else, maybe not. And then he didn't want to talk anymore. I think he felt a little convicted just thinking about if he was a good person or not. Another person said, "Um, I don't think I'm that bad. I've only told a couple lies. You know, I've uh, use God's name in vain, yeah, lust committing adultery, but I, don't, I still don't think I'm a bad person, right? And so what these guys at the train station didn't understand was that no one is good, right? No one is perfect, only God is good. And what is God's standard? Perfection. And we all miss the mark. We all fall short of the glory of God. And God, he doesn't overlook sins, It would be unjust if he didn't punish some sins. And so let's take a closer look at these two commandments that James brings to our attention. So we're going to talk a little bit about the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. So question, what is adultery? What is adultery? Okay. Fornication, all right. So specifically adultery, um, good answer. Anyone else? So she mentioned sexual intercourse. Is it just more than that when we're talking about adultery? Yes, Bob. Mm. Yes, we're going to get there. Really good. So it's not just what you do. It's also your thought process, right? And so the heart of the issue is being unfaithful or disloyal to your spouse. Rather than being a one-woman man, this man will go after many other women. This can be done in many ways, right? Flirting, texting to a certain degree could be considered emotional adultery. And so adultery is not just about sexual intercourse. We know there are many men that uh, cheat on their wives in the sense of they're watching pornography. And so this is just... Another way uh, to express that uh, commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. So look with me to Matthew 5, 27 that Bob Bob brought up. This is very important. Um, You know, when I first got saved, this is one of the verses that really hit me hard. 
because um, I really thought I was a good person because I didn't do so many sexual sins. But look at verse 27. It says, You have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh, yes, so you could commit adultery even before marriage because what Christ is doing is magnifying the law. He's showing that it's more about uh, just for married people. It's for all of us because, you know, we could lust in our hearts and we can commit that sin. Um, but good question. And so Jesus goes to the heart. Someone could easily say, I never cheated on my wife. And they may argue, I never slept with any other woman. I've been faithful. But they spend all their time talking to other women, looking at them, thinking about them in a sexual manner. And what are we supposed to call this person? Pure? Clean? No. He is a sinner. He is an adulterer at heart. And many times we can follow God like this to-do list. We can say, well, I didn't lie. I didn't cheat. I didn't steal. But in our hearts, we are sinning and acting like those sins don't count. And so for the foolish man, only the external sins count. But God, he looks at both external and internal sins. He knows our hearts. And what does James later say in chapter 4? He says those who are being friends of the world are what? Adulteresses. And so what James has in mind is not just about sexual sin, but also about spiritual unfaithfulness, right? Um, We could be cheating on God with different idols of our lives, right? Sometimes we spend... For, for us men, we spend so much time on researching sports and looking who's winning, and, and, and we put that as our main focus rather than God in our devotional life and our prayer time. And so we must never forget our relationship with God. We are the bride of Christ after all. How dare we go after sinful pleasures when he has given up his life for us at the cross? And I like how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. All right, let's go next uh, to the next commandment here. Do not commit murder. And so Jesus, again, magnifies the law. If you're still there in Matthew 5, look at verse 21. On this Sermon on the Mount, like I said, I'm thinking James meditates on the Sermon on the Mount so much that it just spits out of him. So look at verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Here's Jesus. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And so, if you got angry with your brother, you have committed murder in your heart. Maybe you haven't thought about that before. Some of us think, well, I never committed murder. That's not true because you're not thinking about the internal sins that we commit, right? Um, Whenever you hate someone, you're committing murder in the heart. And so when we get so mad, when we don't get our way, uh, we are are showing that we are uh, upset at that person, right? And so God is not approving of that. Uh, Let me give you one quick example. So let's say at a wedding, the bride and groom have a certain request about their guests, Sorry, no kids and no plus one, all right? And so you can, you can get like, what? No, now i got to find a babysitter. Maybe you start yelling at the groom. Or you could tell them, man, you're so selfish. 
and you start to get angry, and, and, and you start to talk bad about them, and, and you can start to hate them in your heart a little bit. Or you could humble yourself and understand their wishes and either just not go to the wedding or get a babysitter, right? And so we spoke about the sin of anger a couple of weeks ago, right? Being slow to anger was uh, a call to patience and reflecting the character of God. Here, this is more about sinful anger, not righteous anger. And so this type of anger is murder in the heart. This is the anger that says, I will never forgive you. I will continue to hate you until you die, right? And that's the type of murder in the heart. So given our context, uh, people that were showing partiality, what was that? It was murder in the heart. Rather than loving their neighbor, they were hating them. And some were even oppressing them, dragging them into court, blaspheming the name of Christ. And, and their false accusations probably led to people being killed in the court. Later, James will address this and say, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. And so we need to stop thinking like we never broke this commandment. We have. And the more we understand this truth, the more grateful we're going to be about the forgiveness of Christ, who he offers to all who come to him in faith. All right, so any questions or comments about uh, anything we just spoke about with the commandments or anything? Questions or comments here? Do not commit murder. All righty. I don't know if your hand's up, Bob. Yeah? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And go ahead, Efren, sorry. Mm. Yeah, that's a good example. So I would say, let's say um, you're at a beach and talking about do not commit adultery, and there's a woman that passes by and you see her. It's more about the second glance and wanting to keep looking and lusting after her, not necessarily the first glance. Um, the first glance is just, you know, you, you were there, and, and maybe you probably shouldn't go to the beach if you know that you know, you're struggling with that. So, um, But the point is uh, there is that... Uh, you have the temptation, but then there's, I think we were talking about it in James, right? Um, and then you commit sin. And then, so it's that lust that we have, and then it's the sin we commit, and then it's, you know, it leads to death. Um, but very good question. Anyone else? All right. Yes, Nancy. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So I was going to bring that up here. Um, very, I'm glad that you brought it up. So, yeah, if you look throughout, 
um, the Bible in the Old Testament. So a great example would be Hosea, right? Hosea, um, you know, his wife is a harlot, his wife is an adulteress, and, and God gives us an example there of how Israel, going after raisin cakes, is committing spiritual adultery against him with all these different idols. And, and so I think it's just a real example. God keeps it real with us, right? And he helps us to see it. And um, there's so many examples that, let's say, Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount that everyone could relate to at that time. And so during that time, everyone could relate to it. And I think it was a really good example, very vivid. Um, and I think it hits you real in the heart right there, um, you know, especially for Hosea. <laughs> Going through that was not easy, uh, but that just points to a greater uh, example of um, what God was going through, because um, he did have that uh, righteous jealousy and anger of what was going on. Um, and ultimately, there's so many examples of bride. Remember the bride of Christ? Uh, it, all this marriage is pointing to the greater reality of Jesus and his bride. And, and, and sadly, so many times we could cheat on him. And, but yeah, let's keep going, though, because uh, we're running out of time here. Sure, sure. Okay. So, so that's a good question, but we're going to have to get to it another time just because that, that's a whole other okay. topic. But we'll, I like the question. We'll talk after. So just a quick application uh, for these verses. Um, here's my question. Are you doing well? Usually we hear that question regarding your health. Are you doing well? Are you feeling sick? But are you doing well spiritually? Are you loving others like you should, fulfilling the royal law? That should be our goal daily. This honors the Lord when we love his people. The second one here is more for unbelievers, but we should obviously think about it too. Um, have you broken God's law? Have you hated others lately? Have you looked with lust? We need to acknowledge that we are sinners. And for us who do know Christ, we should be convicted of any hypocrisy we've been displaying. And we shouldn't go and commit the very sins that Christ died for. All right, let's continue to our next verses here. Uh, James chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. And this is kind of more of a shorter uh, exposition on this, so we'll be brief. Verse 12. So speak and so ask, uh, act as though who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. And so after reading about the commendation to those who obey God's law and the conviction of the law, James gives us imperatives regarding the law of liberty and explains what judgment will look like to those who are merciless and to those who show mercy. And so one is condemned and the other is shown compassion. So if you look at verse 12, James gives us more imperatives after explaining how we can be transgressors of the law if we only break one part of it. And the commands are in the present tense. So this is something we ought to be obeying consistently. And he brings up these two familiar topics, speech and action. All right, here we go. go. And so we discussed speech in the previous lessons, right? If you remember, James had to correct their foolish statement that God is the source of temptation. And he also told them to be slow to speak. In our text, James is calling for a speech that has judgment in mind. And judgment in a good sense. We will be judged by the law of liberty. In our previous lessons, we learned that the law of liberty is that which blessed doers look to and abide by. They seek to do that which God commands them, which is to love him with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love their neighbor as themselves. And so knowing that God judges our speech, it should be our goal that our speech should be gracious, seasoned with salt, 
Paul says in Colossians. We shouldn't be speaking like evil judges who are partial. We should understand that God wants us to speak in a way that is loving to our neighbor. And the truth is that one day we will all be judged by how we spoke to others. And I want you to see that. Look at Matthew 12, verse 36 to 37. Do we speak with anger or with grace? Look at Matthew 12. Verse 36, it says, But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so speech tells us a lot about a person's heart. A true believer will display speech that is edifying to God's people. And and that's very important to remember, right? We're going to be judged by what we said. And, and some, uh, God's going to condemn them for what they say. Obviously, like that partial person that we learned about last week. And so the next imperative is about our action, right? So we're talking about speech and we're talking about action. Um, we are to act as we are going to be judged by the law of liberty. And so a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the person who has a worthy relationship with God is one that acts in their care for the needy. Right? What are they? Doers of the word. They're very active in their obedience to Christ. Our demeanor when we do these things should be one of great joy. That we get to serve the king by serving his people. And some of us got a small taste of that this week when we visited Joan in the hospital. Another form of action is that we abstain from sinful pleasures. We are active in fleeing from things that displease our Lord. And so James is insistent that all Christian conduct be motivated by the realization of future judgment. So I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 5.10. Um, this is something, to be honest, early in my Christian walk, I honestly didn't know. Um, I used to think as a believer I would never get judged by God. Um, when I say judged, I don't mean condemned. I mean uh, evaluated, right? I always thought it was like, okay, I believed in Jesus, off to heaven, no judgment. But God here tells us that there is a future judgment for believers. Look at verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so this judgment, it shouldn't discourage us. It should encourage us to obey God. But there is a judgment that, should, that people should be fearful of. And if you look at James uh, chapter 2, verse 13, we're going to discuss now God's condemnation. All right, so this one is the more scary judgment. So what does James 2, verse 13 start off with? It says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. And uh, we observe here God's condemnation to those who show no mercy. And I think a really good... Um, picture of this is found in Matthew 18. Uh, you don't have to go there. I'll kind of just explain what the text says in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. So Peter is asking a question, right? How many times should I forgive my brother? Uh, seven times, right? And Peter always, uh, with the great ideas. And, and then Jesus says, no, seven times 70. And so he sets the standard of forgiveness very high. Uh, we don't forgive our brothers only once, we forgive them always. After all, we will sin many times, right? We're not in our glorified state yet. And so this isn't an excuse to just say, well, I could just sin against my brother. I'm going to just keep sinning against them. No, this is a picture of God's mercy and forgiveness. 
And so Jesus continues to tell Peter a story of how hypocritical it would be for a professing believer to have a limited amount of forgiveness, right? So he tells us about the slave, the Lord, and and a fellow slave. And so the slave of the master, he has a debt that he couldn't pay, right? I don't know if anyone has a big debt, but just imagine uh, millions of dollars in debt. You're not going to pay it. Infinite amount. This person deserved great judgment. And what does the slave do? He begs for mercy. Please, I'll pay you. Just be patient with me. I'll pay you back. And the Lord, uh, this, this Lord in the parable here, uh, grants him mercy. He is compassionate and releases him. He even forgives him of all his debt. Wow. If that was the end of the story, it would be very straightforward. The Lord had mercy with a slave that didn't deserve it. But the story continues. If you continue reading in Matthew 18, we see that there is a slave that has been forgiven much, but then he refuses to forgive a little. His fellow slave did exactly what he did. He, He goes before the slave and says, please, just be patient with me. I will repay you. He begs for mercy. But the slave that was shown a ton of mercy shows no mercy to his fellow slave. And the Lord, after a other slaves, uh, other people tell the Lord this. He hears of the matter and he calls this slave, you wicked slave. And he asks this question, should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that had mercy on you? And then what happens? The wicked slave is judged as he should be for his hypocrisy. And in verse 35, Jesus tells the point of the story. He says, God the Father will judge those who do not forgive their brothers. And so it was a picture of just how, how the Lord is so merciful with us. And if you think about common grace and just all the beautiful things we have in this world and how God has been merciful to sinners like us, and yet we're not willing to forgive others. And so in other words, if you are not in the business of forgiveness, you will not be forgiven. There is only condemnation for those who show no mercy. Which brings us to the last part of our lesson. So, Talking about God's condemnation, now we're going to talk about God's compassion. All right? And so what does the last part of James chapter 2, verse 13 say? Mercy triumphs over judgment. The word triumph stands forward as the first word in the statement. And it means to boast against or exalt over. It pictures mercy as exalting in its victory over condemnation. Just think about um, the World Cup you know, and Argentina winning and celebrating over France. Although many will be condemned, we know that God will have compassion on some. And one thing we must remember is that this mercy doesn't triumph at the expense of justice. The triumph of mercy is based on the atonement of Calvary. And so though God is never obligated to show mercy, he freely chooses to do so in abundance. He reserves the divine right to show mercy upon whom he wills. You can read about that in Romans 9. And he warns that if we refuse to show mercy, we will not receive mercy from him. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, what does it say there in Matthew 6, 14? For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Matthew 5, 7, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so let me ask you, uh, or let me have you think about the difference of justice and mercy right justice demands what is due that the sinner should be condemned but mercy it pleads that he be saved and guess what mercy prevails why does mercy win 
because of Jesus and what he's done at the cross. And so may we grow in appreciation of God's mercy daily. Now, one last thing about this text, about mercy triumph over judgment, is that those who show mercy, they're the ones that are truly wise. Later in James chapter 3, verse 17, James tells us of what wisdom from above looks like. Wisdom from above. And it says, if you look there in verse 17, this wisdom is full of mercy. And so will we be foolish people who are hypocritical or will we be people that forgive others and have uh, much mercy? So any questions or comments before we go on to the last applications here? Running out of time, but just briefly, any questions or comments about, yeah. Yes, yes. So there's special grace and there's common grace. And, and so mercy, God has some real mercy with his people because they're going to be forgiven of all their sins. And then so with the world, the unbelievers, those that don't repent, those that are arrogant, prideful, hate God, all that, which we used to too, um, they are shown a type of mercy that they could even have another breath, right? God, he could, and, you know, if he wanted to, just send them straight to hell for their sins. So, yeah, there is a difference between uh, that mercy of God with unbelievers and believers. All right, let me just give you some quick applications because we're running out of time here. Um, Number one, are you merciful? Have you forgiven your debtors? We pray, Father, forgive me, but are we willing to forgive those who offend us? The last one here is, are we speaking and acting in love? Well, what do we need? We need wisdom from above. And if we're not seeking the Lord in prayer, We will not be speaking and acting in a wise manner. We will fall into foolish favoritism. But if we're asking the Lord for wisdom, we will be able to fulfill the royal law. And the more time we spend with the Lord in prayer and learn from his word and our devotionals, the more we will be loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so in conclusion, we learn that God's commendation is to those who obey the royal law. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, we are doing well. This isn't for us to give ourselves a pat on the back. This is to motivate us to keep going, to keep loving. We all know it's not easy to love our neighbor. And we observe the conviction of the law. When we are disobedient to God's call to love our neighbor, we're considered transgressors. If it wasn't for Christ, we would all be on our way to hell. We also spoke about God's condemnation for those who show no mercy. It is clear who the foolish are. They are those that don't appreciate God's mercy with them every day they sin. And God has every right to send that sinner to hell for that just one sin they committed, but we know they've committed many. The wise are those who appreciate God's mercy and have mercy on others. And lastly, we examine God's compassion. As believers, we know that mercy is found at the cross. What Jesus did for us should cause us to smile and shout, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so, beloved, when was the last time you kissed the feet of Jesus and cried about how much forgiveness he has shown you. I know, I know, we can't actually kiss his feet right now, but we could approach him in his throne of grace when we pray, and there we can receive mercy and find grace in a time of great need. And so our God is merciful. May we follow his example until he returns. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. Thank you that you reminded us of your great mercy. Lord, we pray that you be merciful with this world as we go and and preach and tell them about Jesus. Uh, We see many that are lost, and we were there too. Um, Lord, we pray that we will see uh, just people that come to repentance and faith. 
Uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for your mercy that you've shown us. Thank you for Jesus dying for us. If it wasn't for that, uh, we would be damned. And, and we love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.